0: Hello, my name is Justin McLean, and I'm here today with Will Sloan. And you're listening to the Important Cinema Club. Do 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 Breaking news Hong Kong New Wave O-Tour, Ringo Lamb is dead at 62. 63. 63. So, uh, okay, the fact checkers in our news department <laughs> have been fired. (laughs) And Ringo Lamb being the director
1: most famous as the guy that Quentin Tarantino supposedly ripped off um, by using uh, Lamb's film City on
0: Fire for his Reservoir Dogs debut. Also the director of School on Fire and Prison on Fire and Prison on Fire Fire 2 as well as some Jean-Claude Van Damme films like Maximum Risk and Replicant and In Hell.
1: He was the most prolific
0: Hong Kong auteur to come to Hollywood and make Van Damme films. Van Dam, sort of the Ellis Island of of hong kong filmmakers you know john woo of course came and made hard target had a bad experience ringo lamb you know didn't have the prospects that john woo did i guess uh he supposedly had a miserable experience making Maximum Risk, but he, I guess Van Dam
1: is just a likable guy, or maybe that was the only opportunity given to him. I would be fascinated how these three specific directors all ended up working with
0: Jean-Claude Van Damme. Was he reaching out to them personally? I think so. Ringo Lam was the second Hong Kong filmmaker after John Woo to work with Jean-Claude Van Damme. And he's also somebody who I think in the popular imagination is kind of well, I don't want to say the poor man's John Woo, but... Mm-hmm. but some... He's not. Uh, he's not the poor man's John Woo, but he's somebody who... I would almost say that he's one of those
1: directors that like his name is recognizable and people know him. But there's no one that says, like, I'm a massive like Ringo Lam fan. Like, I've seen all of his movies.
0: Yeah, he's nobody's favorite Hong no. Kong director. Uh, but he is one of the kind of titans of the 80s, 90s Hong Kong.
1: I'm going to be honest. He's not really one of my favorites either like if you Mm -hmm. put a gun to my head and said all right write a bunch of hong kong directors he'd probably be one of the first ones i would write down just because his name is so recognizable not his real name he got it at a party somewhere
0: Mm -hmm. and someone said oh you like the beatles oh ringo yeah sure i'm ringo lamb i guess i mean oftentimes those hong kong people would like get to choose their own english names and so there'd be people like lots of tonys elvis choi (laughs) you (laughs) know
1: and so ringo is one of those guys as well that like I think his cinema is defined by the idea of violence. And I think it's something that when I saw a bunch of his films, when I was first getting into the country's, especially the new wave auteur's output, was something that I kind of reacted negatively to, is that I wanted action films. And on the surface, Ringo Lam is making action movies. But what really interests him is more the violence versus the action. Mm -hmm. When you hear him uh, kind of described, people will often go to like gritty realism and Mm -hmm. stuff like that.
0: And compared to John Woo, Mm -hmm. whose action movies are so kind kind of operatic. operatic. Yeah. Ringo lambs are gritty and kind of unpleasant. And if John Woo is sort of interested in codes of honor among manly men. Ringo Land believes that there's no heroes. Yeah. Like, that's
1: his worldview on all of his pictures. And his
0: best movies are about, you know, corrupt societies, whether it's the police or the uh, school system or uh, the, the prison system. The film system. industry. Yeah.
1: <laughs> all of it is terrible. Yeah. So Ringo, like a lot of the filmmakers who came up, like Chur Hark or even Johnny Toe, he essentially would do anything that was thrown at him. The first first film that he made was Esprit d'Amour in 1983. I don't know why I put an English accent on that. It's Esprit d'Amour. It's a French word. <laughs>
0: but I also want to say that before he made his first film, uh, he was a York University film studies student.
1: He did not graduate. Oh, really? No, he did not. So he was a student, but he left before, you know, he could get a diploma or anything like that. Well, you know what? Honorary Torontonian, I'm giving him that. His parents lived in Toronto. Mm. He said that in an interview I read around the Maximum Risk era, and he actually shot a lot of the Jean-Claude Van Damme film Maximum Risk in Toronto. So I feel he probably had roots here. I'm always curious about that,
0: of like, what... Hong Kong stars or their families live in the like outskirts of Toronto I mean a ton of them got Canadian passports before 97 uh Yung Bao for a long time lived in Toronto Stephen Chow of course tried to get a Canadian passport but was uh denied uh, due to his triad um triad connections
1: connections. (laughs) and so Ringo for a while like he was just kind of in the wind he made like The Other Side of the Gentleman Cupid 1 just
0: romantic comedy things that people wouldn't associate with him and his commercial breakthrough if not his artistic breakthrough was Aces Go Places four?
1: <laughs> yeah, probably another well, artistic breakthrough.
0: The fourth in the popular series of Hong Kong kind of uh, lunar New Year mm-hmm. uh, action spy th- kind
1: comedies. of like uh, heist um, pictures as well. Like True Hark did one before that. After Ringo Lam, our <laughs> man
0: from Bond Street.
1: Yeah. <laughs> uh, after Ringo Lam, Larkar Long made one. It was the kind of tent franchise for this organization called Cinema City. That was kind of the breeding ground for all these like new wave auteurs, a lot of them coming from television. So people like Carl Maka, who mo- many people associate as Baldy in the Aces Go Places films, was part of this organization. Uh, Badman Eric Tsang was uh, part of this organization as well. Troy Hark probably most famously and ringo lamb was also involved in this you know for a guy who's known for like violence in
0: cinema ringo would do whatever came his way as long as he could make movies but after the success of aces go places for carl maca the producer gave ringo lamb a certain amount of money and said make whatever movie you want as long as it's commercial on this budget Mm -hmm. and pretty recently john woo's a better tomorrow had redefined the triad thriller action genre
1: had made Charing Fat the most charismatic man on the planet a star
0: you know famous shot of him uh, uh, lighting a counterfeit bill yep and-
1: on yeah. every poster and every Anchor Bay VHS box
0: across the world, wearing a big goddamn coat, you yep. know all all the all the stuff. And and Ringo Lam's artistic breakthrough, City on Fire, was very much following in the footsteps of that movie. But as we said earlier, tonally, stylistically, very different.
1: So uh, watching all these Ringo Lam uh, films for this episode, it really created the um, separation between when Ringo Lam is going way over the top, and when he's trying to make like realer films like dramas. And those dramas are the ones that I'm usually like, eh, I, I can give or take. And like City on Fire is in that drama level. I remember going to a comic book store in Ottawa and buying it on VHS. And like my mind was blown. I was like, oh my gosh, I can't believe I found this movie for
0: sale for probably like a ridiculous amount of money. And
1: I remember watching it and going, well, I don't like this.
0: Well, of course, this movie was almost like an urban legend in the 90s because it was supposedly the movie that inspired Reservoir Dogs. And there was that famous short film that God so much play by mike white by mike white of the projection booth podcast called uh who do you think you're fooling where just played scenes from the two movies side by side i mean it's a stretch well (laughs) well i mean it clearly did inspire especially the last couple of scenes Mm -hmm. uh, with that mexican standoff certain elements of the story the fact that Uh, Chow Yun-Fat is an undercover cop in this triad gang. There's kind of a robbery that goes wrong and there's a guy in the gang who sort of mentors him and they have this complicated relationship where where the guy's vouching for him. No, he's not a cop. He's not a cop. Uh, But I mean, there's I, I can imagine being more upset about this at the time when Harvey Weinstein was buying up every Asian movie just to bury recutting it. it. Yeah. 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 Heroic trio, dubbing it, not releasing it with the Cantonese dub. Goodbye. Like a movie like City on Fire would have been pretty much unknown. And so you can imagine, you know, somebody like Mike White or whoever being really incensed. That like, well, why is this guy Tarantino not admitting to this? Why is he just plagiarizing this movie? I
1: didn't think about this till now, but essentially Miramax buying all those Asian films and burying them, like all the Hong Kong classics in the 90s and early 2000s, was probably all at the impudence of Tarantino, like he started this ball rolling. Maybe. With like a Rolling Thunder pictures and stuff like that. And mm. they're like, oh, wow, we can make money this way. Yeah. Ugh, terrible. Man, that was a dark time for being a Hong Kong cinema fan.
0: Well, you could get an Asian film. A like, VCD. Yeah. It, it, and it, Or you could get the redubbed, recut version of like High Risk and it would be called Meltdown. <laughs> yeah. Missing 20 minutes. And then you could
1: get another Meltdown, which is unrelated. <laughs> uh, it, its original title was The Black Sheep Affair and has nothing to do with the gently original. Mm-hmm. so w- when you saw city on fire which i'm sure you
0: checked out like did you like it did you love it yeah i watched it this week for the first time ever i had never seen it oh before. wow can okay. you believe that, uh... that was, it's one of the reasons i want to do this episode mm-hmm. because i'd never seen city on fire which is one of those movies that i think most people getting into hong kong films go to first yes
1: and i liked it sure that's how i felt when i saw it too i remember being disappointed at the time because it wasn't a John Woo film. Yeah. And that's what I wanted. And yeah. it's not. It's a drama. It's I wouldn't even call it an action film. There's brief like
0: There are maybe three big set pieces. Yeah, and that's pretty much it. And they're quite violent. They're more violent than, than like yeah. Exciting.
1: I would almost compare it to something like Sam Peckinpah, but like John Woo is closer to Peck and Paw because they're kind of freezing this violence and making it look beautiful while Lamb is like I just want it to be on screen he's not one to like intercut slow motion or be fancy he likes to be right in there and while he does like insane stunts he doesn't like linger on them they just happen and the movie keeps going
0: but the Ringo of Land movie that I watched this week that I was really impressed by was School on Fire uh, that's, uh, many people consider it his best movie and it's about at this high school where a number of students are affiliated with triad gangs in the city. I mean, you have to understand at this time, especially the triads were a a massive presence pretty much in every industry in Hong Kong. There's a fight where a student is killed by the triads and one student, uh, a young girl, witnesses it and is pressured to testify, but is also pressured by all the triads and triad-affiliated people at the school to not do it. You know, what I like about this movie is like it has that energy that is very unique to Hong Kong film at this time. Mm-hmm. You know, like they would never get permits, for example, to shoot on the street. So like you watch these movies and they're kind of like documentaries on their own making, where it feels like the film industry is this occupying force in Hong Kong that just turn up on a street and start filming. And it uses that energy to create an atmosphere that feels kind of like It feels genuinely sort of unpleasant and unpredictable, and you always feel like the rug is going to be pulled out from under you. Like, you never know what's going to happen, and there's something very unsettling about that. Anyone can die at any moment! So that scene where the student is killed by the triads early on, that key scene, it's like this knife fight in the middle of a street. And... Uh, the the student, like, runs onto the street and gets hit by a car. You know, brutally hit by a car.
1: (laughs) Like a stuntman throwing himself in front of a car. The glass shatters.
0: He's laying on the ground. A giant pool of blood is forming under him. And it just creates the sense, like, nothing is off-limits in this world. Mm -hmm. Um, This is a world where, like it's not enough to be angry. Tables are going to get thrown over. People are going to be thrown through windows. And like you
1: said, that's a documentary about its own making. There's like a a level of involvement in Hong Kong cinema, especially when like Ringo Lam is going for this violence that you don't get in American films Mm -hmm. because you know these stunts like, you're like, oh god, that hurts so much. Someone being thrown off a banister and bouncing off of it and landing on the ground. Yes. There's no way to get through that like safely. It's someone just decided to go and do it and hopefully skilled enough to land in the right way that
0: he won't die doing this. And if you're creating a portrait of how corrupt this school and this city and, and the bureaucracy is... It's a film with just so much cruelty in it, and it seems like there's no limits to how cruel it can get. Like, there's that scene where the triads absolutely humiliate this young girl, like, you know, forcing her to strip in front of them, basically, as they intimidate her from testifying. And like, then she like, still
1: it, gets involved in their organization yeah,
0: afterwards. Like, like anything can happen. There's no, there's no limits to the horror.
1: <laughs> the, the misery. But... It will end with uh, a villain in the film being killed in probably one of the most brutal ways that has ever been captured in cinema.
0: Now, uh, Ringo Lam's filmography, I think, is pretty dodgy. You yes, know, it's half good movies, half you know uh, hack work and and misfires. I think the other movie that Hong Kong cinema fans, or Western Hong Kong cinema fans, really love, and one that I saw for the first time as a teenager, was Full Contact.
1: Oh, I love Full Contact, mm. and it still took him a while to get there because, like, after School on Fire, he made Wild Search which is supposedly only notable for Charing Fat's performance in a remake of Witness, huh. the um, Peter Weird. classic. He made an international production that never gets talked about uh, called Undeclared War, which is notable for having um, Olivia Hussey in the uh, <laughs>
0: <laughs> in the cast. And uh, the Samuel Hung film, Touch and Go, Prison on Fire 2 twin dragons twin dragons is an interesting film that was a movie that i think was made as a benefit film for, for the
1: um directors uh, the Hon- guild yeah of hong kong. kong directors
0: guild they were gonna build a headquarters or something
1: i think ringo did very little work on that i think he shot the opening and i think Troy hark did the rest
0: they are credited as co-directors and i think i read an interview with ringo lamb where he said you know you have two strong egos on this movie mm-hmm. and it's like i asked should I be the main one or should you be the main one? He said, I'll be the main one. Mm -hmm. So it's like, okay, I'm here to serve you. It's so weird that like Ringo in like the Jackie
1: environment, like the closest Jackie's gotten to that since then is like the Kirk Wong film, Prime Story,
0: which you feel could have been directed by Ringo Lamb yeah you see a movie like Twin Dragons it stars Jackie Chan at his peak it's directed by Choi Hark and Ringo Lamb and, and you're, you're like, like yeah it's oh, fine oh boy here we go but
1: if- then you see like it's a benefit film you're like oh no
0: yeah it's nobody's best work and it no. has some really appalling special effects
1: yeah but the I mean it has become in my um, common parlance where I'm like is it a Twin Dragons like effect yeah. we're gonna get close to each other and the screen starts to like bend and blur <laughs> like their time cops coming close to each other
0: it was great when Twin Dragons Reagan's, like 10 years later got a theatrical release <laughs> in America. It got a theatrical release? Yeah, it, you know, opened in two theaters. Starting Jackie Chan and Jackie Chan. Because you remember in that movie, Jackie is a, like he's a mechanic, he's, he's twins who are separated at Yeah, a mechanic and a pianist. And the American poster had two Jackies, one of them had his fists up and the other one was holding a violin. <laughs> which is great because he doesn't play the violin in the movie. <laughs> Why is it? Did he have his black shirts on? I uh, yeah, yeah, that from that one photo shoot <laughs> he did. Yeah.
1: Why? I, like, did... I think it's Miramax probably put it out, right? Why did they think that Twin Dragons was the most viable Jackie Chan release theatrically? Because I remember the reviews coming out where people would be like, "Ah, these effects are appalling," Mm -hmm. and you wanted to be like, "It was made in
0: 1992. (laughs) It was a long time ago." Uh, But you know, Full Contact. uh, Getting back to that one, which also came out in 1992, Uh, and and um, I I revisited it this week, and it I think still works like Gangbusters. It's in many ways very hard to defend. It's sort of. Uh, has everything that like a a 13-year-old who likes Hong Kong films (laughs) wants to see in a Hong Kong film.
1: Lots of wide-angle lenses, uh, Charung fad
0: in the lead role. Looking really cool. He's wearing like Like a leather leather vest. vest With fingerless gloves. (laughs) And he's on a motorcycle and there's like smoke behind him. And yeah, like low-angle shot. Simon
1: Yam as like a very uh, effeminate villain. Anthony Wong doing his like weenie
0: role. There's a a smoldering sexy woman in it uh, who is perhaps a little problematic. I think. Uh, but you know, but it, the problematic stuff is also what you like in a movie like this when you're 13. Did you
1: read that this was supposedly, uh, based on a Donald E. Westlake novel, like, from the Parker series? Oh, I didn't know that, <laughs> yeah. no. Um, I don't, I don't think it's officially credited. I remember reading that in a Hong Kong movie magazine at one point. It's I, a movie that's also
0: famous, though, for the bullet cam effect.
1: I, yeah, I remember that being hyped up, and I was like, it's alright, like, the camera just zooming towards
0: someone. It's, it's a moment that is almost reverse-engineered to, like, be mentioned in a fanzine 100 <laughs> pump your fist when you hear about it oh man a bullet cam i remember being disappointed when i saw this the first time as well again because
1: it's like it's not really john woo and even the action scenes ringo lamb doesn't seem to be interested in like delivering it that even like other hong kong action directors would do he's more interested in kind of like the violence of it and that like climactic moment more than like fun or
0: build up or payoff i don't think full contact which I enjoy. I don't think it's a very rich movie. I think it's kind of all there on the surface. I feel you, you sort of enjoy the B movie quality of it. You know? I can
1: understand why if you're getting into Hong Kong cinema, be the one you go to, because it feels very American in the way yeah. that it's
0: constructed. But with that weird remove, <laughs> yeah. you know, like
1: every time Charing
0: Fat shows up, there's an electric guitar. It's like, <laughs> It's like, yeah, a lot of the appeal of the movie is like a bit camp.
1: Yeah, 100%. Like, it came out in 1992, but it feels like it was made in like 1986. So,
0: 1997, the Hong Kong handover to mainland China was looming in the 90s. Many of Hong Kong's brightest talent was looking west, trying to find ways to uh, break into Hollywood. Uh, <laughs> and Van Damme came calling, I guess. What, what better or more prestigious way to break into Hollywood than with the muscles from Brussels himself, Jean-Claude <laughs> Van Dam with his Toronto lensed film, <laughs> Maximum Risk.
1: There's a um, a decent car chase that is beautiful because it takes place right at Dundas Square, mm. and you see uh, for all you Toronto heads out there, all the locations that don't exist anymore. Sunrise Records, Sam the
0: Record Man. Oh yeah, like and and also just lots of anonymous, like like it looks like uh, Toronto 40, skyline 42nd Street or something. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And this was before this is before Young and Dundas Square this is back when it was just like a block of businesses on mm-hmm. that street
1: I mean look Maximum Risk I think I put it in second place of the debuts that were done by Hong Kong directors that happened to Star Van Dam. Yeah. so first place Hard Target Maximum Risk and then Double Team
0: which was disappointing when I uh, watched it recently oh really I had a great time with Double Team when I saw it you know seven or eight years I ago I did too but when I saw it recently but Knock Off that's the number one so Knock good. Off is so good well Knock Off is a pure Choi Hark film <laughs>
1: that's like Choi Hark like raising both middle fingers to whatever
0: producer has to control him but... also Rob Schneider's best film <laughs>
1: uh, yeah that's right
0: <laughs> so uh, Jean-Claude Van Damme stars as a French cop uh, who is alarmed to discover that uh, he had a twin brother oh, man hates when it happens and and you know, uh, Van Dam always has a, a twin or a replicant or a <laughs> doppelganger of some kind, or a time double. You know, it's it's sort of like, uh, you know, it's like Andy Warhol with his multiple Marilyn's. It's <laughs> the it's multiple like, Van Dams. Yeah, it's like because they're all oh, they're man.
1: all it's kind of I see, I see a poster right here where it's just like Van Dam and all his different guises in all these movies. Yeah, <laughs> um, yeah. So he finds out he has a twin brother. He gets involved in the um, Russian led. Who cares? Like the plot of this movie doesn't matter.
0: Well, I think it was well directed by Ringo Lam.
1: Ringo Lam. It came with his full contact energy to this, being like, all right, like I can prove to these, you know, Hollywood screwheads that I can make like the best '90s kind of forgettable Van Damme action movie. Mm-hmm. And like, there's tons of stunts. It's pretty crazy. Uh, Van Damme does this thing. Not particularly surprising. Supposedly. Ringo Lane was forced after test screenings to go back and do three days of reshoots. And he disowned the film after that.
0: Really? Yeah. Hmm. I don't know.
1: I don't know what else he, he, he well, would have had, like, I don't changed. Know. I
0: can't imagine the movie being much better or much worse. He said the Natasha Hendridge character,
1: who plays uh, Van Damme's love interest, who only exists to be kidnapped so he can go save her, hmm. was much grayer in the film. She wasn't a good guy or a bad guy. Okay. And that audience has kind of reacted negatively to that. So he had to go in and it gets to make her more of a damsel in distress. Well, it's a slick movie. It's
0: a decent TBS Sunday afternoon <laughs> viewing. 100%. Yeah. And you know, it, it feels like just a little bit melancholy to watch it because you know that it was all downhill from here for Ringo Lamb.
1: I mean, right before this, he had made The Adventurers in Hong Kong, which was a big budget Andy Lau movie, which is supposedly terrible. I've never watched it and tanked at the box office. So like maximum risk, it almost feels like his effort to be like, all right, I can do this. I can prove this. Mm-hmm. And, you know, he kind of went back to Hong Kong after that and he made a movie called Full Alert, which I've seen. It's all right. You,
0: you sense him lose his passion after this. Mm. You know, the, the movie is from his goal Old age. It's clear there was a bit of a one for them, one for me, uh, going on in in the movies he was making. There were some that he was clearly really strongly committed to; others that were just, all right, let's uh, let's get food on the table here. <laughs> yeah. And then, and then I think the you know the the signs of his passion, the signs of his engagement, seem fewer and far between after the turn of the millennium. Well, he just
1: struggled making movies, mm-hmm. and if you look at his filmography, it almost feels like people trying to give him a shot to come back like even Van Damme Replicant in 2001 which was a DTV film or in 2003 he made a film for Johnny Toe's company Mm -hmm. that was kind of out of his wheelhouse it was a like romantic action comedy which he hadn't done for like 15 years but you feel like these kind of people like Johnny Toe or even Troy Hark in 2007 remember they did that like omnibus film where it was like one movie but they each directed a segment triangle I think it was called that film only exists to give Ringo Lamb a shot at direct acting which he hadn't done for like seven years at that point
0: i read an interview with ringo lamb from 2015 which was probably around the time when uh uh, wild Wild city wild city which was his comeback film quote-unquote came out Eh, that's fine um he was saying something like oh i look back on my old films and they're so violent i mean i i I know right (laughs) yeah you know there there was real anger uh in his early films uh there there was genuine like bad feeling Mm -hmm. and and you can kind of sense him trying to Go
1: back to, like, his Cupid 1 days? Or, like, well, be like, I, I could be a commercial filmmaker, guys. Well,
0: in his older age, he clearly didn't have that anger anymore. Mm-hmm. He didn't have that same bad feeling. I mean, we both saw his last picture, Sky on Fire. What a stinker. A big old snooze, and it felt sad. Mm-hmm. Um, and he just didn't really have that much to say anymore. But, you know, uh, the man can't be denied. And it's- I think he has films that are considered, like, masterpieces. City on Fire, he was nominated, and for a lot of
1: his other films, multiple times for Hong Kong Movie Awards. So it's not like he was toiling in the background hoping for a shot like he was recognized for the pictures that he made
0: and I would certainly recommend the people check out especially school on fire which is a really ferocious piece of work
1: I would 100% recommend it, a film that we haven't mentioned yet called burning paradise which came out in 1994 which is one of my favorite wuxia pictures so like kind of not really flying swordsman but kind of like once upon a time a china ish it's actually a fan Se yuck movie produced by Choi hark but directed by ringo Lam. and essentially what he does is he takes these like high flying uh, Wirework martial arts films, and it takes place all in a cave. Mm-hmm. And it's the most violent like kung fu film you've seen since *Story of Riccio*. Mm-hmm. People's arms are chopped off, heads are lopped off. It's almost hilariously violent. It was giving a category three rating when it came out because it was so violent it's again it almost feels like Wingo Lamb going like fuck you when he forced to make like whatever was popular at the time which was a kind of passion that obviously disappeared as he went on with his career
0: now I'm a little sad I didn't watch In Hell which was his last Van Damme movie
1: uh, aka the Van Damme with a
0: beard movie I mean I've heard that uh, it, it's very dark and violent mm. so maybe it's got a bit of that maybe it's got a bit of that DMX feeling you know <laughs> yeah. oh you mean a little
1: bit of that cradle to the grave <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm talking about, you know, I know, I know. <laughs>
0: that thing Kanye said oh I don't remember that Ka- Kanye West had a tweet maybe a year ago all his tweets are great um, but he had he had a tweet where he said music is so watered down these days I miss that DMX feeling <laughs> and I'm hoping in hell has some of that DMX feeling
1: well you know what one day I remember I saw it when I worked at a video store and I went man it's fine but maybe
0: it's great and I just wasn't paying attention enough anyway rest in peace Ringo Lamb
1: so as per usual you can send us letters on importantcinemaclubpodcast at gmail.com and this week on our Patreon, in special honor of Will's 30th birthday, old man Will Sloan, we uh, talked about our favorite movies from 1989. Uh,
0: including surge kill by Andy Milligan.
1: <laughs> Will Batman get discussed? I don't know. you have to listen to find out. So that's $5 a month, and you can uh, become a Patreon subscriber at www.patreon.com uh, slash The Important Cinema Club. And
0: hey, where can they write us letters?
1: They can write us letters again at Podcast at
0: gmail.com. Now, next week on the podcast, we are going to be talking about Quebec popular cinema.
1: And I know people are like, wow, yes, finally! No, I know, probably not that exciting. But it's genuinely interesting as a phenomenon that they have their own film industry. Canada doesn't uh, have its own film industry. I mean, it
0: has a film industry of sorts, but, you know, <sighs> since we are in such close proximity to the U.S., we are so culturally similar to the U.S., mm-hmm. we just watch American movies. Yeah. Quebec is its own distinct... Identity. Mm. They
1: have their own star system. They have their own box office hits. They have a thriving film
0: industry in Quebec. I think I looked and there was 80 plus Quebec films that were released last year. Yeah. Mostly for the Quebec market. Uh, do you remember that time when we were at the Canadian Screen Awards and the... Yes, uh, I do remember exactly year, what Every year it was they in. give a Golden Reel Award. For the movie that made the most money and was Canadian. And uh, the, the winner that year was a movie called The Three Little Pigs 2. And when the host said that, there was like a chuckle in the audience I think because they thought it was a joke. But no, they, they just never heard of it. It had only been released in Quebec. And the producer got on stage and said, well, I guess I should expect that uh, the most popular Canadian film did not get any other awards. Anyway,
1: <laughs> <Hey, clears throat> what won that year? Um, Who knows? It was probably like
0: Maudie or something like <laughs> <Yeah>. that.
1: <laughs> and so uh, I cherry-picked essentially one film per decade for me and Will to watch. And I, like, was very careful to pick filmmakers that I know we're not going to talk about at any other point. So these are actual Quebec phenomenons. We're going to be watching Les Boys. Did you ever hear about
0: that? Les Boys, for a long time, was actually the most popular Canadian film of all time in Canada. Wow. Like, highest grossing, I mean. I've seen it. Starring uh, Patrick Huard. Uh, Patrick Huard, yeah. Who is, I think, the biggest star in Quebec. Don't quote me on that. I think that's the case. He's the bad cop, not the Bond cop.
1: (laughs) That's right. (laughs) We will not be watching Bond Cop, Bad Cop. Now, when I was making this list, too, like... I could have picked movies that like, were, I just knew were bad and we wanted to make fun of it, but I tried to avoid that. So we're going to check those out. Uh, maybe I'll watch Elvis Greton. Did you ever hear about that movie? No. Oh, okay. I'll talk to you about it after okay. the podcast and I'll definitely mention it. It's a whole new world to discover that uh, most of Canada doesn't know about unless you're from Quebec, which I am not, but I do speak French. So. I'm, I'm
0: excited to dive in. I know very little about Quebec popular cinema.
1: So, uh, so until then, my name is Justin Glue. I'm Will Sloan. Thanks for listening.
0: Well, Justin, it's Hollywood's biggest night.
1: All right, Will, get out of my way. We need to do some back matter stuff. We need to break this glass in case of emergency, a.k.a. we have nothing else to talk about. Uh, It's
0: the Golden Globes tonight. I'm sure by the time you hear this episode, you will know uh, who the winners (laughs) and losers were. Are you looking forward to all the tweets in your thread of people being like, I can't believe this happened or this person won. I haven't watched the Golden Globes since I was in high school. When did you make that decision? It wasn't so much a decision, even, because um, you you like line up for the oscars. I do line up for the oscars. Uh, like excitedly. Why not the golden globes? Because it It doesn't mean anything. Yeah, I mean the oscars don't mean anything either, but like the golden globes <laughs> seem especially egregious to me. <laughs> Why? They're they're stupid. It's <laughs> it's this group of hack journalists, not not even journalists. That they're, nobody reads. Nobody nobody knows who they are and all they are are just people who want to get a selfie with celebrities and the nominees every year um attest to that. I mean yeah well okay it's such a cliche to bring up when they the the time in the 80s when they gave best new star to Pia Zadora after her <laughs> after her billionaire husband flew them out to Las Vegas for a all expenses paid weekend retreat man
1: but like looking over of the stuff that's nominated it's not going to even really be a very strong year when it comes to like the Oscars,
0: like, what are people gonna fall on their sword for? Uh, Bohemian Rhapsody. Yeah, are they, are they gonna, you know, welcome Brian Singer back? <laughs>
1: <laughs> Do you think will get up and to give a speech? Like, listen, we can all make mistakes, Ugh. but like Adam McKay is nominated for Vice. Oh um, my god!
0: I mean, I mean, some some of these <laughs> movies that are, are nominated, I don't know. I mean, uh, controversy has swirled around uh, the Academy Awards this year because of uh, uh, America's sweetheart, Kevin Hart, who uh, has been in the news for his homophobic comments and, um, you know, refusing to apologize for them. And he's not going to host the Oscars. And it's interesting that nobody wants to host the Oscars. It's not interesting, but uh, for the purposes of this conversation, it's interesting (laughs) that nobody wants to host the Oscars and yet the Golden Globes every year get interesting house.
1: Yeah, it's because, you know, this is basically chiseled in stone is that the Golden Globes are fun. The Oscars are not for people. Right. It's a party where you can get drunk at a table and you can essentially chit-chat with people if you don't want to pay attention to what's going on. We've been to award ceremonies. Canada's biggest film award ceremonies. Which we hope to host one day. (laughs) And it's boring, right? It's boring. Yeah. So like... The idea of having to sit at the Oscars is terrible for me. Like, I wouldn't want to do it. But the Golden Globe, sure. Why not? Yeah. Are you putting bets down? you going to collect a little cash? So, uh, I'm going to... Uh, we're maybe, just, just going to
0: read out all the lists? You know what I'm going to do? I'm going to drop some predictions about, <laughs> okay. about what I think is going to win. Um, so, best picture. And remember, folks, you will know who the winners are. Uh, so you can call us fools or a so, savant. So uh, if your Oscar pool is still going on, mm-hmm. um, you should you should maybe not take my predictions. You should instead look what, what the winners actually were. It doesn't fucking and, mean and, anything. And bet on those in your Oscar pool that yeah. extends beyond the winners being announced. Uh, best picture, I predict... A Star is Born. Is going to A Star is Born. Uh, best picture, comedy or musical. Um, I... Pr- oh my God. <laughs> I... I, uh, uh, vice i predict vice uh, uh green book best uh, is green book a comedy best actor um what? i i say it's gonna be um rami malik bohemian rhapsody yes a hundred percent um best picture by an actress in a drama lady gaga not only because it was the most popular movie but also because at the she's other... famous
1: and look at the other choices the wife the destroyer a film nobody watched is
0: that did that even come out
1: can Are you it? ever forgive me and a private war
0: best performance by an actor in a comedy is of course christian bale in that rib tickler vice <laughs> hey, have you seen vice yet uh, not yet oh wow shocking you're saving it for michael and us i don't know i don't really want to see it it looks like such a chore <laughs> Best picture by an actress in a comedy. I think Olivia Colman has got this one in the bank.
1: Wait, who are the other peop- uh, choices? Well, there's are... Mary
0: Poppins, yeah. and uh, there's uh, Constance Wu, and mm-hmm. there is the eighth grader, and there is Tully herself, Charlize Theron.
1: <laughs> Tully. Uh, she does not play Tully. It's another character whose name is Tully. Uh,
0: best director of a motion picture. I think Alfonso Cuaron will take yeah. it.
1: Oh, my God. Are we going to go through this whole list?
0: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but you know folks at the end of the day the real winner is the audience the audience <laughs> we're having three hours of sparkling entertainment with three uh, hours I just assume because they also have the five categories hours. in there a lot of entertainment with Hollywood's biggest stars mm-hmm. the the stars come out to shine think
1: Jack Nicholson will be there
0: No, I think he's too old. I think he's, uh, he he doesn't. But doesn't he need to take that like Mickey Rooney at the Oscars? You know, they would always cut away to Mickey Rooney Mm -hmm. and they're like, oh yeah, he's still alive. Shouldn't they put Jack Nicholson in a balcony somewhere? I think, uh, I think Jack Nicholson is uh, a big enough star that he, he doesn't need the attention like Mickey Rooney did. (laughs) Okay. Well,
1: Golden Globes, you have our predictions.
0: (laughs) I hope we were right. Who cares? (laughs) And you know what? You can take that to the bank. (laughs) To the blood (laughs) bank.